pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, and welcome to Angriement. I'm Catherine. And I'm Michelle. And each week, Catherine and I meet to talk about one weird thing, one pop culture thing, one research thing, and try to bring them all together in the end. And this week, Catherine is going to start with her weird thing. Guess I'm going to go first because I made you go first two weeks in a row. I actually have two weird things this week because they're very short. And the first weird thing happened like two hours ago. So I wasn't planning on it. And it is not good enough to hold its own, I think. So I'm going to combine. Um, my so it's weird, like a, a bonus we get. It's like a bonus weird thing, exactly. Like happened on the day. You're getting the... So I was walking to the grocery store today and I looked up and there was a huge really, really cool. What I assume, and it was so big and so fancy that I'm assuming not sure, there was a huge kite shaped kind of like an alien, like a squid-like alien, like Cthulhu style. And I looked up at it as I was walking to the grocery store. And I really genuinely had a moment of, huh, are there aliens now? (laughs) Is it an alien invasion? And I kind of went to look at my phone to see if the New York Times had sent an update. Like, aliens are here. I love that here you are in Colorado, potentially looking at the alien, but you've got to go check the New York Times to make sure that you're seeing an alien in the sky. Like a New York Times text, it can't be true. It's a kite. But it was just this feeling of unreality where I was like, Instead of what I think, if it wasn't 2020, if it wasn't this GD year, I would be like, wow, what a beautiful kite and take a photo and send it to whoever I wanted to send it to and be like, look at this cool kite. And instead, in the year of our Lord 2020, I looked up and went, this is ominous. Something bad's happening. It (laughs) probably is an alien invasion or maybe murder hornets have gotten really big. And then I had to go, no, it's a kite. It's a it's right. In that moment, it's a kite. In that moment where you thought it might be an alien invasion, were you like scared or kind of like (laughs) just like, yeah, okay, that checks. Or maybe even a little relieved, like, oh, something new. (laughs) That's the thing. It was a mix of the final two where I was just like, whatever, yeah, (laughs) bring it on. And it's something new to worry about. It's something very different to put my mind on good. It was just total um, flase da resignment with a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope that aliens had come. So if you're listening, aliens, we're ready for you. It's, it's We are. Time. We are at the perfect point to just come on down. You're the next contestant on Earth. Because you want to be in charge? Care. Go ahead. Take, take it. Take a stab at it. <laughs> Exactly. I really was like, okay, okay. And, but not excited, not afraid. Just, <laughs> just okay. Right, I'll, I'll put this on my list of things to worry about. Washing my hands, wear a mask, aliens are here. <laughs> so that, that's the first thing. And it's a little short, but that feeling just, oh, it made, now it's making me laugh. Thank you. <laughs> because it was really sad. And then I went into the grocery store and it was just, anyway. Um, the second thing, which we always say we don't talk about things before we meet, and this is why I've moved it from a major focus to a bonus weird thing, and maybe it will turn into something more that we can talk about later, but I was hanging on 
to a pop cultural treat. And then I got a text from you earlier. <laughs> I ruined in the week. it. I'm sorry. Like, Have you seen this? <laughs> and um, I almost, I almost lied and went, oh no. But I had to be like, yeah, yeah, I've seen it, but I didn't tell you, which is a very funny and weird result of this podcast. It's something I would immediately tell you about. I was hiding from you for the sake of this podcast. But what the thing was that you sent me a text about and that I had found is that um, everyone here knows we love escape rooms. We do. We were just talking about the Shit's Creek episode about escape rooms and it's the best. That episode is so good. And it, it made me so happy because the way David responded is the way I felt the first time I did an escape room with you. Cause I was like, why are we doing this? Aren't these things weird? And then I was so into it and I loved it. Um, and I'm not the most helpful. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at the level of David with being helpful and being like, leave me alone. I'm stressed. Um, when he was blowing the thing on the thing. Oh, yes, yes. Use and this. <laughs> That was very when I dropped those keys down the drain. (laughs) So we love escape rooms. And that was also, I told you this already, but that was a moment where my husband turned to me and said, oh, Michelle's very much like Patrick. Which I'm going to take as a compliment. I feel like there are worse things you could be. So (laughs) a huge compliment. I think his favorite character is Ted, but then second favorite is Patrick for sure. So What are we talking about? Escape rooms text. It is the fact that escape rooms, a few of them, because you found a different one that I had seen, but escape rooms that were in person are trying to survive and switching their business by having virtual escape rooms where you do them via Zoom. And so- But not like, oh, it's an electronic thing. Like it's a human being in the room you get to boss around like you're yeah. there like like you have a surrogate body <laughs> which is weird very so, weird I think it fits for weird things that we were both thinking about it and um I told you my plan was to like ambush you on the podcast and be like Michelle we have to do one and you were like there's no ambushing needed <laughs> so I do want to say that we won't do it now because that would not be exciting but we have got to figure out a time to do this virtual escape room together and then we'll We'll give an update on how well, it goes. We'll give you a, 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 I don't know how many updates we have now. Cardi B's Love Life, um, my Doctor Who watching, and our virtual escape room doing. So, you know. Oh, I've also built in my own update that no one cares about, which is how far down the seasonal vibe candle girl rabbit hole am I going? <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of updates. Eventually, we're going to have to start a sidecar podcast that is just our <laughs> updates. So, what are your weird, your weird thing? Okay. So my weird thing, I'm actually, I'm going to play a video because I feel like it got to get, you got to get the vibe going. So you've probably already seen this video because I think you liked it when I posted it on Facebook, but there's a a bunch of, there's a story that I haven't been able to tell because I was hiding it for this podcast. So we both did things for each other. I love it. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to share. So this is a tweet from Sarah Watson 42, who notes that um, they did not record this video. They just found it. It is at a gas station, a 76 gas station. And I found out through um, some deeper looking into it that it is in Los Feliz. Um, and it is a whole bunch of people, um, young, mostly white crowd. Everybody's wearing masks. And this is when it was announced that Biden had won the election. So I'm just going to play a second of it. This was in amidst of a whole bunch of celebration social media posts, right? Um, And I I live in St. Louis and the streets were kind of alive like this here. Like people came outside and they were clanging on pots and pans on their porches and honking their horns and screaming. And it was just, it was a really good feeling after feeling so just dejected for so long. But something about this particular video, especially because it, the Sarah Watson's 
tweet is titled Trump, the radical left is trying to destroy Christmas. And then the video is labeled the radical left, like these just, just this joyful celebration with this Christmas song. And it just made me really, it made me tear up, honestly. Like, I don't know, it just hit me in just the right way where I was like, like, there's all of these efforts to drive us apart right now, all of these efforts to describe each other in inhuman terms, which is how we get the worst atrocities in humanity is when we stop recognizing each other as humans. And I just, this video just doesn't do that, right? Like, it's like, look, this is just pure joy of people who see a threat to their lives and their friends' lives and even the people who voted against or what they wanted to their lives too. And just the celebration of like that relief and that that feeling that things are going to be okay. So I watched this video like 10 times because it just really, it just made me very happy at a time when I was not feeling very happy. And it just seemed like such pure joy. So I started, um, I was scrolling and apparently this dance party went on for seven hours. <gasps> oh, that's amazing. Oh, this gets so much better. <laughs> so if you see the guy dancing on top of the car. Oh, yes. So that guy is Demi Adejibwe, who is one of the Gilmore guys that did the podcast, The Gilmore Guys. I love that podcast. He's also a writer for The Good Place. I didn't know he was a writer for The Good Place. That makes sense about why that podcast was so good. I have not listened to The Gilmore Guys, but now I will because I, this is a side, but um, I watched The Gilmore Girls like reboot and it kind of ruined it for me. Like I just, I couldn't, um, I used to rewatch Gilmore, like Gilmore Girls is like my comfort show that I would put on in the background when I just needed like noise and something about the reboot just really did not work for me. And it's been really hard for me to watch since. So maybe I'm hoping that the Gilmore guys will like bring it back for me. That would be a good way. They also hated the reboot. I have a confession, which is I have only seen the reboot and then learned about Gilmore Girls through the Gilmore Guys podcast, but I've not actually seen any of the original episodes of Gilmore Girls. That would be the strangest way to watch Gilmore Girls is after the reboot. I don't even, I I can't even process that. I don't get it hate all these characters. (laughs) These are all terrible human beings. Why are we watching this? Um, So he danced on the roof of that car for over seven straight hours, seven hours. Um, The car belongs to another comedy writer named Addie Weyrich. And the two of them posted that they would really appreciate donations to help Addie get her car repaired because (laughs) because people danced on it for seven hours. So my weird thing is that I donated $25 to Addie Weyrich to get her car repaired, but she has promised that everybody who donated at least $25 will get a personal song of her singing the first verse of a karaoke song but personalized to the person who donated. And so I have not received mine yet, but I will hopefully be able to post an update with what song I get um, for my donation. Also, she's already made the amount for her car repairs. And so they are now donating to a local charity that helps unhouse people in the region. So that's, um, I just, that is my weird thing. It brought me a lot of joy. I hope that my karaoke video is coming soon. Yes. And so now I'm going to listen to the Gilmore guys as well. So I feel like I got lots of treats from this whole experience. I like that podcast. Do you know the comedian Jason Menzoukas? Jason, why is that name so familiar? Is is he? Oh, he's on The Good Place. He's the um, Derek, right? It's all coming together. He's yeah. Derek on The Good yes. Place. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. He is on it sometimes. And I love Jason Menzoukas. I, I'm so excited for that update. We got to uh, do yes. it. We yes, gotta do I'm it. Hoping it's coming soon, but she got quite a few donations, so it might take her a while to get to get through them all. <laughs> this is good. I, I'm seeing connections because moving on oh, to good, pop because, culture, um, my research is gonna mess up any connections that we. Oh, think mine we is have. too. I think. <laughs> <laughs> As I was writing out my notes, I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be hard." <laughs> it's like. Um, I know. I'm trying to think of something that's very anchovies. You're putting some anchovies in our in our stew. Although anchovies are delicious. So, okay. My pop culture for this week 
which very much linked to me trying to get an emotion, get a vibe from last time where we showed each other our candles. And um, this is linked to that. This is, I'm, I'm seeing this as a trend in myself. This is very much an outlier of that. I, and here's my update that I said, the update no one asked for is um, Catherine going further and further down the seasonal vibe rabbit hole. I decided I was going to make very intricate um, handmade Christmas ornaments and I'm not good at crafts. So I bought a ton of wooden beads and I'm going to, I was going to string them and I'm like, I will hand dye these wooden beads using vegetables and I'm going to be so Susie homemaker. And so I, all day, it took me two days for this, this failure to happen of chopping up, <laughs> chopping up beets and red onions because um, I read that those make red and boiling them for hours and hours and then putting the beads in and letting them soak for two days. And then I um, blended up spinach and boiled it. And our house just smelled like spinach and onions for days. And um, they're like, you know, you put them in overnight. I put them in for 48 hours, these vats of vegetables and nothing, nothing. When those beads came out, you could not even tell that anything had happened to them. <laughs> so, um, all those vegetables gave their life for nothing. I, well, those vegetables went out to the squirrels. Okay. So a full circle not. back to episode one. Worry <laughs> not. The squirrels got extra fed, extra beets, extra spinach, very healthy. So that's not my pop culture. Obviously I ended up just dumping a bunch of acrylic paint in a pot um, I don't always do it. From I, as um, the mother of a very artsy child, whenever our art projects go wrong, I'm like, "Well, we've got acrylic paint. We'll just dump some of that on. We're we're fine." Yep, that did the trick, and now I have a lot of yeah. It wasn't what I want, but it was what I needed. So, in that spirit, I have been watching a lot of Christmas movies. I've always, I know this is problematic, maybe controversial, but I've always been a fan of like Lifetime and Hallmark movies. I have had a long history. Last Christmas, I forced my family to watch Hallmark movies nonstop. And this Christmas, I am forcing them to write spec scripts for Hallmark movies as a contest. And um, we're going to do a dramatic reading of them on Christmas Eve. And there are some professional actors in my family, so there I'm are. very excited about this. I have learned not, my father- Not Hallmark Channel professional actors, no, so I really better. would like to get to observe this. I'm Yeah, people, <laughs> I should charge people on Zoom for this, because the professional actors are higher caliber than Hallmark <laughs> professional actors. Um, and I, I've learned through this that my father, I think- you know, everyone would try to get the remote away from my hands last Christmas, but my dad was like fake trying and then he would get into it. He has already turned in his spec script and it is amazing. <laughs> so all this to say, I am a connoisseur of Christmas films. Um, Lifetime is different than Hallmark. They have these setups and um, Lifetime is usually more like left wing, Hallmark's right wing. Um, Lifetime has more like, ooh, sexy sex Then Hallmark doesn't do that. They just kiss politely. But, and I do want to say that I listened to, speaking of Gilmore Guys, there's a podcast called Deck the Hallmark Podcast in which three men who love Hallmark movies talk about them. It's great. But I've discovered a new entry into this Lifetime Hallmark Christmas movie, and it is the Netflix Christmas movie. Netflix has had Christmas movies in the past, but maybe just one. They had like the princess. And now Christmas. it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was so bad. I watched one with my daughter last year that was like, you know, they kept advertising it. She was like, I want to see that. And I'm like, you don't, but fine. Uh, it, don't. It, I think she was like a baker who got invited to the British or some royalty. Is this ringing any bells whatsoever? Yeah. But okay. it could be. A number of them. That's, 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 <laughs> it doesn't narrow it down. Very big. Baking is big. Being in royalty, baking. Those are. It could be any checking all the boxes. Checking so many boxes. So, like I said, like they, there's tropes that come up again and again. Netflix has been pretty bad. They're copying Hallmark very, very clearly. Um, 
But this, and usually they don't have many of their own, but this year I started noticing like two weeks ago already, Christmas movies popping up in my suggestions. And so I watched one. I watched one called Operation Christmas Drop, which is made by Netflix. And so they're copying Hallmark, but they're, I think, trying to be less legible and if they're being conservative or not. It was a weird movie. It really revolved around, instead of like usually the Christmas movies are big city, busy businesswoman goes to a small town and big city is bad, small town is good. And that's always- Country mouse, city mouse all over again. Exactly. (laughs) This one was big city girl worked in Washington and had to go to Guam because her evil democratic boss. Mm, she was always one of those women. So it was like, well, Congress is evil. I never actually said if she was Democrat, but that seemed heavily implied. Her, her, uh, everyone that worked with her was very diverse. So I'm assuming. <laughs> so, um, so she has to go to Guam to shut down a naval base. Like you and do when you work like, for... Exactly. <laughs> like you do. It's stealing the... She has to go to a small town, but the small town is a naval base in Guam that they want to shut down because every year they drop presents on islanders. It was, it was weird. And I learned from a student of mine recently, you know, the military industrial complex in Hollywood are very connected in that the military will often let films use equipment for free if they approve the script and how they're treating the military. So this had a ton of that. And I'm sure this was like military approved. And then there was lots of Home Depot propaganda in it too. This is not, so I just want to say um, my pop culture is Christmas movies, but the new entry of Netflix Christmas movies, which I'm trying to figure out like. So it's like, is Jingle Jangle, does that count? Because it isn't. Okay, so this is um, it's, oh, Michael Keegan the from Key and Peele. He stars in it. It's an almost all black cast. He's like oh, American, I just put that on my list. He's like a marionette. I don't quite understand. Um, <laughs> but I've seen a lot. For, uh, Facebook believes that I am the target audience for this film because I am sure you are not. It is showing it to me a whole lot. <laughs> well, let me deter you from Jingle Jangle. And let me say, the thing about Netflix is they make a lot of their own movies. So Operation Christmas Drop was made by them and produced by them. But then I found a movie called New York Christmas Wedding. What? New York Christmas Wedding. Okay. New well, York Christmas Wedding. Little snakes on the plane in your title. I, I would. Oh, yes. Oh, it gets better. Um, and the producer of that is Conglomerate Media. <laughs> Does it start actor P. Actington? Yes, exactly. I was hooked from the jump, man. Um, I was in it. And so I was like, I don't care what happens next. I'm watching a New York Christmas wedding by conglomerate media because this is the future and aliens are here. So New York Christmas wedding. And if anyone, I'm going to encourage everyone to go see it, but I am going to do spoilers now because I have to. And I don't think everyone's going to rush out and waste an hour and a half of their life watching New York Christmas wedding. It's basically a remake of, um, my brain just shorted out, um, a be- uh, da, 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 da. what's the, A Wonderful Life, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a remake of It's a Wonderful Life, in which someone who is not happy with their life gets to see what life would be like if it was different, except it's very different, um, that they actually get to see that their life would be much better if they had made different choices, and there's no suicide, it's not depressing in that way and so it's also very confusing from the jump I was like when what year was this movie made it was mind effing me because I thought it was made recently and then all of a sudden they're like making it look like it's 1990 and that's because of a flashback that they don't explain well enough and the movie is so badly produced that you think maybe I don't I don't know what I mean media conglomerate didn't hold it down (laughs) exactly And so basically it's about a young girl who will um, clearly is in love with her best friend and is afraid of her own sexuality. And so she grows up, her best friend dies, 
Her father dies. She's in a loveless relationship with a very rich man. Um, and she goes off for a run after getting in a fight with him. She sees someone get hit by a car. She helps them and goes on a walk with them. Lo and behold, that person is an angel. They are her guardian angel named, this is very important, Azrael Gabison. Totally normal name, right? Azrael Gabison? Yeah, yeah. So Azrael Gabison, who is a guardian angel, basically shows her her alternative life in which she, for some reason, her best friend, oh, we know why, her best friend never dies. And she is in a relationship with her best friend. She's not afraid of her sexuality. She's living her truth. Her best friend and her um, have made it work all these years and they're getting married. And then the movie becomes absolutely, I couldn't understand or decode it. I didn't know if it was super left-wing or super conservative right-wing, or if it didn't know what it was doing, if it was being moralizing in a crazy way. There was, I won't go through the whole plot, but there were times I thought that maybe it was like, yes, this is about like, if you deny your sexuality, you will not be happy and we should own, we should just like be, not be afraid of our truth. But then there were times I straight up thought that it was going to curse her and kill her because her friend had an abortion. Um, It is revealed in the end. I'll let everyone go from point A to point B, but it's just so uncodable that I really thought it was going to have her end up with her heterosexual, her male partner who she did not love because it is revealed that her guardian angel, Azrael Gabby's son, her best friend's name is Gabby. Azrael Gabby's son is the aborted baby of her best friend, Gabby. And then he becomes like mean and starts to be mean to her. What? And ultimately she has to make a decision where either she can live her truth of her sexuality, but that means Azrael Gabby's son is never aborted and never becomes a guardian angel. So I was, I was, as you were hitting so many like cultural touchstones for me. So I was like, this sounds like somebody stuck in a blender that um, Katy Perry video for the the one yeah. who got away with like, it's a wonderful life. And then the Nicolas Cage movie where he like goes back in time and could have stayed with his lover instead of becoming like the family man, I think yeah. is what it's called. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm, this is hitting a bunch of tropes, but um, aborted fetus becomes an angel was not it has you have to put in there a dash a sasson of indictment for but love of the catholic church in there i don't know what netflix is doing but i and i don't know if i can recommend it but oh so it sounds like i mean because like jingle jangle is a netflix original and clearly is targeting i mean not that audience. So it sounds like maybe Netflix is just throwing something at every, like, who's going to come? Like, I've got, got something for everyone. Who just um, needs to have a 24-7 feed of Christmas <laughs> movies on in the background and will not be paying attention to them. I'm sure it costs them nothing to, like, yeah, pick this up from conglomerate media. But is, I don't know. Um, it's just the Asriel Gabby's son. If I was, thought it was being so clever, Gabby's son, and it echoes. I'm going to tell uh, my, my husband who loves to watch bad movies. I'm going to let him listen to the audio of you describing this, and then I'm pretty sure that he will sign up for a late night viewing. So yeah, I'll, we'll be able to discuss it in detail. Don't, don't tell him the surprise. I won't. I won't. <laughs> you get to that point, and you're like, what? What? <laughs> So that's it. Um, I'm just endorsing. I am endorsing Christmas movies. I am endorsing New York Christmas wedding. I'm going to do it. Bold claims. <laughs> My first movie endorsement here. Maybe. I think. I don't know. But I'm no, no, I think we recommended Mandy at one point. Oh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> that would be a great doubleheader. Watch this. Watch Mandy first and then this. Let yourself truly slowly go insane. All right. Um, so my pop culture thing is going to take a much darker turn. <laughs> <laughs> darker than aborted guardian angels, Michelle? Oh. Where are we going? <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we are going to Slamity. What, what do they call it? No, hold on. It's St. Saint, Saint Slamity. 
Louisiana is where we are headed. So I have been listening to the podcast Louder Than a Riot. Do you know this one? I have not heard of that. So it is from NPR and I have not, I'm not caught up on it because I can't. So here's a little side about me. I cannot listen to podcasts unless I am moving because if I try to like sit and listen to them, my brain is too loud and I can't. Same. I won't, I won't listen. I can't sit and listen. I don't pay it. I lose. Like I literally cannot, I don't understand. Like my my husband, for instance, he listens, he just will come home and like chill out and listen to podcasts. And like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, you're just sitting on the bed with headphones on. Like it just, it blows my mind. Yeah. Um, I would, I can't, I can't do it. So I can like do it while this, while like doing dishes or cooking, or usually when I'm out for a walk. So my podcast listening is challenging for me because it can only fit in when there's these little, so, so anyway, so Louder Than a Right by NPR is about exploring the belief that there is a conspiracy between the prison industrial complex and the hip hop industry. So it starts with this premise that there was this letter published. Uh, this is a pretty famous thing in, I, don't, I can't remember within the last 10 years, I can't remember exactly when it happened, that said that there was a meeting between like top hip hop execs and um, prison industrial leaders that like laid this out. Like we are going to use hip hop to influence criminality in the black community so that we can continue to have a steady flow of bodies into this very you know lucrative system. So that's sort of the like underpinning thing that they're exploring. Um, most people believe that the, that the letter is, this, the letter does exist, but most people believe it was like artistic, like not quite satire, but like, you know, using it to yeah. point out the, the problem, but not actually suggesting this meeting really happened. Right. Right. It was like parodic in some way. Right. Right. So, um, but the first three episodes of the podcast explore the story of this New Orleans rapper named Mac who was signed to No Limit Records in the late 1990s. And he was doing really, really well. This is Master P's label. And so um, he ended up being put on trial for a murder that he maintains he did not commit. And if you listen to the podcast, I mean, it's pretty clear that almost everybody involved will admit that he, I mean, somebody else confessed to the murder. There's somebody else confessing to it on tape who went into the police and said, you have the wrong guy. I did it. And the police were like, no, thank you. We were good. Um, so like it, I mean, it's, it's really bad. Um, and so I won't go too much into those details. I, it's worth a listen. I it's, it's well done. There's lots of, um, interview material with him, with other people in the industry. There's the guy D one, who's also from New Orleans, who sings the song, the, um, I paid Sally Mayback and I, I ain't got no car note. I don't know if you know those songs. They're, they're very, uh, so he is a good friend with Mac that they became friends while Mac was in prison. And like, so there, it's just, it, it's touching and really uh, distressing to hear about this guy's case. It, there's some hopeful notes in it at times. It's, it's a good listen. But the part that I specifically want to talk about as my pop culture thing is that part of what they're talking about in here is how Master P, who had his labels offices in New Orleans, because that's where he was doing his work, he moved them to Baton Rouge because he wanted to get more, he wanted to get away from kind of the um, the street life, so to speak, right? And so he wanted a more respectable headquarters. He wanted to some distance between him and people who didn't like him. And so he had people working for him go and buy all of these houses in like a country club in Baton Rouge, white people working for him. And then the people were so mad because all of these black rappers were living in these houses in this very white, very rich neighborhood. And they got so angry about it. They wouldn't let him, they wouldn't let him golf there, even though he lived there. Um, and they like tried to get them kicked out, but and so that part of the story was just like, it was equal parts entertaining that he like kind of snuck in and like, knew yeah. that they, and, and, and then infuriating that they treated him that way. But then I also just kind of got really frustrated with Master P because Mac, the guy who got, um, I 
believe wrongfully imprisoned. Uh, it definitely the case was not done. Even if Mac was guilty, the case was not done right, right? He, yeah. for one thing, um, was convicted without an anonymous jury, without an anonymous jury, and only two states in the entire country allowed that, and that has since been found unconstitutional. So the case was oh. supposed to be reexamined just for that, but it still hasn't happened. It ha- so it's it's so infuriating. Um, but they interview Master P for this podcast, and he kind of blames Mac for his own situation. He's like, I told him not to, I told him not to have any of those uh, shows and those ratty clubs. And he, he should have been better than that. You know, if you go looking for trouble, you're going to find it. And like, because he had this club in the town, um, St. Tammany, St. Tammany parish, that's known as St. Slamity because the cops are so, I mean, they racially profile so much. They put so many people in jail and it's just known like you don't go there because if you do anything wrong at all, they're going to get you, right? Like they're so corrupt, they're they're out to get you. And so like, I don't, it just kind of the blaming the victim that was going on where he was like, I told him not to do that. I told him that we, that like, it just really kind of bothered me that this is, yeah. and it's very similar to what happened to Master P's own little brother. Um, almost identical in a like almost identical cases like same like witnesses later recanted evidence wasn't there both of them ended up um convicted and so maybe he just has to like put that distance between them to like be okay as a human being but it just didn't I mean it just really kind of was sad to listen to the way he talked about that case so that is my pop culture thing, louder than a riot, in particular, the respectability politics that Master P brings forward. That leaves us with research academic-y things, which I think is, I think we could have linked things fairly easy, but now oh, we're both- we're about to throw some mess in here. I read that platypuses glow in the dark. Not enough there to work with, but it is cool and everyone should look into that. But I didn't feel like that was researchy or pop culture-y. And it was weird. But anyway, I want to talk today um, from something I taught this week. It was my last week of teaching content um, online. And in my theories and methods class, we did postmodernism. And I this is always one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things to teach. And so I'm not going to talk about postmodernism. Like, who who wants to learn about postmodernism right now? Me, but fine. Um, It's amazing. (laughs) It's especially, I do love it. And if you don't know what postmodernism is, it's like after, it does mean literally after modernism. It was a movement and a style in art and architecture and literature and other fields brought about by the rejection of modernist ideals but it usually gets taught most easily through architecture because postmodern architecture is, at least for our history, it really stuck. And um, I wanted to talk about this with you too because the death of modernist architecture, I don't know if you know this, but growing up in St. Louis or near St. Louis, you live in St. Louis now, we both grew up near it, was so great for someone who ended up loving to teach architecture. The very first skyscraper ever in the United States, at least, I think, um, is in St. Louis. And the death of modernism happened in St. Louis, which was the Pruitt Ego housing development. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Historical um, architecture and art historical Theorists, academics, what have you, do kind of, it's very hard to get anyone to agree, like, that's it. But everyone does kind of point to, that's when the modernist ideal and dreams for architecture, at least, that's when it died. When they blew up and destroyed the Prudigo housing complex, because it was, it didn't work. Um, for various reasons, right? Downtown St. Louis in and of itself is, I that, I should save that for a whole other research, right? The the structure and design of St. Louis, how it's so inherently racist. You know that there's like no basketball courts, right? In any of the parks, they have every other sport known to man, even the bridges in St. Louis. Anyway, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, just to put a little plug, there's a book called Mapping Decline that shows 
the maps of St. Louis, especially how um, highways were specifically designed to cause segregation. And I mean, like intentionally, this was not a side effect. Um, and and the, the book has these really interesting overlays where you can kind of move the maps over time and watch it happen. So yeah. It's, well, that is, yeah, I've seen that. It's great. Ooh. I mean, it's terrible, but it's a great book. And I, I I'm sorry, I'm hijacking your thing. I'm no, no, that's okay. the, we're in green. We're excited. So I also, so there's St. Louis is famous for the Delmar Divide, which is um, the street in St. Louis that divides what is called North City from South City. And North City is um, primarily Black and lower income. And if you watch people from outside of St. Louis talk about St. Louis in a negative way, they're usually talking about North City. If you get footage of it, that's usually where it's coming from. And then South City is definitely still majority black city, but way more diverse um, and definitely more income diversity as well. And so um, and when I first moved here, there would be people who would frequently be told, don't go north of the Fox because that's north of Delmar. And so don't go north of Delmar, right? Don't cross the Delmar Divide. Yep. So I went to a conference and found out that the raccoons in St. Louis do not cross the Delmar Divide <gasps> either. What? Isn't that interesting? So like they tracked, they tracked the, the wildlife and the, um, they found that they would move in, in patterns but they would that they stayed in clusters across the Delmar. So they didn't cross the Delmar Divide. They crossed lots of other streets. But the South City raccoons stayed in South City, and the North City raccoons stayed in North City. And the theory was that it has something to do with like the, the, there's a disparity in the trash, right? Like there, there's <gasps> a different um, like that they got used to different diets based on the trash from the different neighborhoods and so oh, that the even the wildlife does not cross the Delmar divide jeez oh there are great things about St. Louis and I love it but man it is oh, just from the from the ground up built built for racism we and I accidentally my class went problems. fun fact and then I had to go no not fun racist fact I'm sorry so yeah, the, the death of modernism, largely because of this, right? One of the ideals of modernist architecture, Le Corbusier says a house, a building is a machine for living. And they really thought that if they designed space right, and that they could do it very cheaply because modernist architecture, which is steel and glass and concrete, and has not like no ornament, no decoration, isn't intrinsically expensive. And so a lot of these architects, Le Corbusier, um, others would build large, low-income housing developments. And then they were just impossible to live in. People hated living into the, in them. They were not pleasant to live in. They were not easy spaces to move around in. They just, um, they weren't machines for living. They were these empty, ugly, cold, hard to move in spaces. And so the Prude Ego housing complex was blown up and everyone's like, that's the death of it. What comes after is with postmodernist architecture at least a celebration of over decoration and of playing there are all these rules in architecture when i had to teach architecture like old school architecture to architects who i was the only time they had to take a history class and they're like just let me go build a building i learned that um it's so uptight about like here's the rules if you're going to use a column, you have to use it in this way. You have to use this column for this thing. And if you're going to, anyway. So it's very interesting. And I love the history of architecture and how the column is a one-to-one -to, -one to the human body. And there's all these rules. And like, if it's a giant church, the column should be huge because you want to feel humbled and intimidated and small as you enter in. But if it's someone's private house, or a different space, right? Then the columns should be more your size so you feel comfortable and at home. And anyway, so all those rules. And so for a long time, especially throughout modernist architecture, it was very uncool. And no one used that kind of decoration of like Greek and Roman classical decoration of columns and um, pediments and all these things. And so postmodernist architecture did a lot of things, but one of the things it did was it brought back all that classical style, 
but didn't give a fuck about the rules, right? It was just like, we're going to do whatever we want. It's really largely in part why we have like McMansions and why they look the way they do and why there are columns on everything a lot of times, especially in the 90s and early aughts. And there's a great website called McMansion Hell that is an architectural (laughs) historian that looks at like how McMansions are built using these rules and they never follow them. But I love that website. Um, Basically... All that is to say that I got to teach my favorite building. It's not really my favorite building. Maybe it is. It's not the best building, but it's the one that has my heart, which is Michael Graves' Disney Team Headquarters building. Michael Graves is one of the most well-known postmodernist architects. He really drove the medium. You know, there's Robert Venturi and others, but Michael Graves... Oh, he cracked it open. And this building, which I will encourage everyone to go look up, it's the Michael Graves Disney Team Headquarters Building. It is it is bonkers, and I love teaching it. He uses classical columns, and he uses caryatid columns. Um, and caryatid columns are where the human body is actually carved into the column, right? And it's like women holding the column up. But it's the seven doors. <laughs> and it's just wild to see on this building, a very serious headquarters building for people that work, just the seven doors as classical Greek. Yep, holding it up. Um, and it is just the easiest way to teach postmodernist architecture. That's going to be my research. And I'm going to stop talking there because I could go on too long. But I haven't gotten to teach architecture in a long time. And I love it. I love it so much. And postmodern architecture is, I've embraced it. It's beautiful. And everyone should go look at pictures of Michael Graves buildings. So my research thing. Blow it up. <laughs> is literally about blowing it up. You Michelle. didn't know that. Michelle, we're there. <laughs> So I actually, there's, it, it's kind of two things that go together because the fact that I saw them both on the same day was just too much for me. Like I was like, what? This is, this has <laughs> got to be my thing then. Um, so I follow a guy named James Fell on Facebook and he is um, a historian and he does these posts like on this day in history, shit went down. So he just picks like a day in history and then like tells you some crazy things that happened on that day. So uh, we record this podcast in advance um, cause we're busy ladies and this is November 12th. We could star in a Hallmark movie, man. We, we could we need to send us to the country and make us learn the simpler ways of life. Funnily enough was your very first weird thing ever was city, busy city. Yeah. City yeah. Yeah. Woman yeah. goes to the country and it's weird. And I know yours was a lot <laughs> about a lot more than that, but so on this day in history, according to thanks, I know this thanks to James Fell. You should follow him. He's interesting. He, he'll teach you lots of things. Um, November 12th, 1970, a 16,000 pound dead whale was on the beach in Florence, Oregon. And people were upset that this rotting whale carcass was causing a lot of distressing smells for their city. And the Oregon Highway Division was tasked with figuring this out, which was kind of outside of their expertise. So they said, we're going to blow it up. And the plan was that they would blow it up into pieces small enough that the natural scavengers would come and eat eat it and it would go away and everybody would be happy. That great, is, great plan. That is not what happened. Um, they blew it up into pieces so big that a refrigerator-sized piece landed on a car and destroyed it in the parking lot. People got covered in chunks because everybody like, came to watch this. Um, so they- <laughs> oh, so people came to watch us like, it's fun. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't even work because like, even with a refrigerator-sized chunk blown out of it, that still wasn't the majority of whale carcass. So it still was there, like even after they tried to blow it up. So, um... And the seagulls that had been around trying to eat this whale, like the, one, the, the predators they were trying to make this easier on, 
we're like, no, thank you. Once you've blown this thing up, we're going to go find some easier food. <laughs> a bit too much for us. So even the things that were eating the whale were scared away after the intervention. Oh, no. So, after you blew it up, yeah. If somebody gave me a birthday cake and blew it up, I'm going to be like, thanks for helping me too. I'm going to not eat that cake. So um, don't blow up whales if you happen to have one wash up in your town. That's not the way to get rid of it. That's the lesson from 1970. But I saw that earlier today. And then I was just scrolling through, I don't know, like the Smithsonian or something like, what should I use for my research thing today? And I just happened to find out that there's a thing called whale fall. And that is when a whale dies in the ocean and then it sinks to the ocean bottom. But this is a rare enough event and an important enough event that it creates its own ecosystem in the ocean. So the whale carcass is, it happens in phases because it is so big and it is such an exciting bunch of food for creatures that live in the ocean. So phase one is when mobile scavengers come and it was described as a giant Thanksgiving feast where creatures from all over the ocean all come together to eat the soft tissue from the fallen whale. And it can last for two years. Wow. So all of these creatures that aren't normally together are all in close proximity to eat the soft tissue of this whale. And then there's a second phase where worms, crustaceans, and mollusks feed on the leftover blubber and the nutrients leach into the sediment under the whale. And that can last another two years. And then the third phase is called the, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, sulfophilic phase It can last for decades and only the skeleton remains and bacteria breaks down the lipids in the bones of the whale and that makes more bacteria come, which brings a big community of mussels, worms, and snails that wouldn't normally be there, like rare, rare things that aren't normally there. And it's all because this whale died and sank to the bottom of the ocean. Why is that rare? Is it that whales... I mean, I just don't, don't think die much? that many whales have a long lifespan and there aren't that many. there's not that many of them. So they're like spread you know, out. So it's not like the floor of the ocean. It's just littered with whale. <laughs> I was at the beach once and there was a dead whale and they buried it. That seems better than blowing it up. Yeah. Um, and it was really weird because one day there was a giant beached whale. And then um, the next day they brought in big machinery, buried it. But you could tell where it was buried because there was just a wall of flies for the next Ooh. week, just over it. Poor and confused it, flies. They were like, "We, we're trying to get to our whale fall. It's Thanksgiving dinner, and no one's letting us in." Those whales are important. There's no way to like. This is a stupid question. Is there a way to take the whale carcass back to the and, ocean? Like, back to the ocean? Why? Why? How much does it cost to blow up a whale carcass unsuccessfully? I bet the cost would be similar to like towing it out into the ocean. Yeah, just like pull it out there and let it go and then let the mollusks have their phase three, right? Let them have Thanksgiving. We don't get it this year. Let them. I know that was ages ago in history. Yes, you've all already had your Thanksgiving, but we haven't yet. Thanksgiving might be a trigger for me. I say it every time, Michelle, but, oh, it's a doozy. (laughs) So to recap, our weird things are the all I want for Christmas dance party that ended with a fundraiser to repair a comedy writer's car. And seeing a kite and thinking it's an alien invasion and being okay with that. Then... (laughs) Pop culture is Christmas movies, which does go with your Christmas thing very well because your song was a Christmas song and a Christmas meme. And Louder Than a Riot, the NPR podcast, specifically Master P and his respectability politics. And then we have postmodern architecture and whale carcasses. Whale carcasses. Although, although Michelle... Prude ego got blown up like that whale carcass. It did. It did blow it up. Each individual thing can like match pretty well. Like we each held something back that we didn't tell each other in real life for this. So, okay. We have um, unsuccessful blow ups because 
the Prudigo is cited as the death of modernist architecture, but people do unfairly say it's because it was a bad building and not because St. Louis is like set for failure when it comes to like equal yeah, diversified I mean, housing. The Pruitt Ego as a housing project was a, I mean, it was, I mean, the stories that came out of the way that minor, like, I mean, it was a primarily black housing project that was being used to further some of the worst of St. Louis racist racist yeah. policies and I mean that's saying a lot because St. Louis has a lot of racist policies and it gets really put on the soul at least academically like on the shoulders of bad architecture I was like no no that was no 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 there's a lot more going on than that so um and like that not postmodernist architecture but that fits well with the kind of conspiracy theory or not but the prison industrial complex in a way, but what is going to tie this together more largely? Christmas, music, dancing for joy collectively, not having any emotions about an alien attack, blowing things up in an unsuccessful manner. So I feel like maybe like the fact that the Christmas movies are just trying to grab someone's like that they're just like a smorgasbord of like something for everyone. We just want you to watch our movie. Like maybe that, like because smorgasbord. Like- Those animals wanted to eat a smorgasbord whale. Raccoons don't eat the same things in St. Louis. Um okay, smorgasbord, smorgasbord. How does this fit the other things? We have smorgasbord of Christmas, smorgasbord, the uh, the justice system is a smorgasbord where- Expectations. Um, I think expectations is the key. Okay. Expectation. Because you, your expectations are so low that when you <laughs> think the aliens have come, you're like, okay, yeah, that, that checks. The expect, the- the all I want for Christmas video was about having your expectations. Uh, you know, I think they were expecting Trump to win and they were so relieved that he didn't, that that was that seven hour dance party. Uh, not planned, by the way. It was an impromptu oh, seven wow. hour dance party. And your expectations at watching it and then being overwhelmed and moved to tears. So, okay. I feel like, I feel like we're getting some, like, my expectations of thinking I knew what a Netflix Christmas movie were and then <laughs> the New York Christmas wedding going, <laughs> blowing my mind. And then the expectations of um, how people will live in the building and <laughs> the expectations of how a whale will explode. So I, feel just, like, I feel like we're stretching it a bit at the end there. <laughs> we are stretching it. I think um, expectations... I feel like, what would you feel like, Michelle, if you opened a fortune cookie? Because that's how I like to think about this. And it just said expectations. expectations. No, it needs it needs something yeah. else. Like, it's like, it's almost like, like the missed connections um, category of the classifieds. It's like the missed expectations, right? Like, you- <laughs> ooh, that's beautiful. Missed expectations. Missed expectations. Now I have Miss Independence stuck in my head. Um, Miss Expectations. It's like, okay, so the people who were blowing up the whale, they were like, oh, this is going to solve our problems. Oh, no, now we have more problems. Yeah. The postmodern architecture is about flipping expectations on their head, right? Like yeah. sometimes literally the upside down building. Um, the louder than a riot masterpiece, respectability politics is all about expectations and when you miss the mark with them because you only ever talk about respectability politics when somebody hasn't lived up to your expectations, right? The Netflix Christmas movie surprised your expectations. I don't know if surpassed is quite the right word, but they definitely... Yeah, not like... Because it would be an easy fortune cookie to be like, like if you lower your expectations, you'll be happily surprised. It's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about so unexpected. (laughs) Yeah, mix, missed. Mixed? Missed expectations. Missed expectations. Missed and mixed expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I like I think, that. I think I, it works. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it does, even if it doesn't. Missed expectations. 
There we go. That's it. <laughs> and we'll wait for that update. I'm excited. I hope, I hope that I will be able to give you an update on what karaoke song I get and how my experience was, if it furthered my joy or if I will have some more missed expectations. Oh, I hope that's not missed expectations. Yeah. But maybe it'll just be even better than you could have like, thought. Like I would never have thought it could be this good. So that's, yeah, missed expectations can go either way. Yeah. Having expectations, but they are missed. We're not <laughs> telling you to throw your expectations out the window, guys. We're not those people. No. We're Have just them. saying. Just be prepared. Be prepared. <laughs> you get you get a little, you have a little bit a little bit of whale on your face. It's like ink on your face, but so much worse. But it's, but it's whale. <laughs> whale. It's just whale. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye. It's